What's up, guys? Welcome to a new episode of Hospital Playlist. This is your host, Albert. And this is John. Um, so in this episode of Hospital Playlist, we have a very special guest, one that you may already know. Um, his name is Albert. So today we're going to get to know a little bit more about Albert uh, and ask him some questions that can really give us some insight onto who he was as a kid and basically what his life is like now. So, Albert, are you ready? Yeah, I'm ready. Whenever you are. All right. So the very first question, I guess, if we go in chronological order, why don't we start off with where you were born, where you were raised, and what were you like as a kid? Okay. So I was actually born in Pennsylvania. Uh, and then very shortly after, um, I moved down and stayed between Las Vegas, Nevada, and Southern California for the first nine years, around nine years of my life. And then I ended up moving to New Mexico, Albuquerque, New Mexico, where I was from middle school to high school and then went to college in University of Pittsburgh, uh, Pennsylvania, and then ended up going to dental school in New York City at NYU. So, all right. Oh, and then uh, yeah. what was I like as a kid? Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, I think as a kid, I was kind of, don't quote me on this, but according to my mom, I was very, I was kind of a really quiet kid. Um, I kind of kept to myself. Uh, I, I liked reading uh, like books when I was younger. Um, I learned how to play the violin when I was five. So, I mean, by learning how to play the violin, my mom, you know, she tried to get me to culture um, my taste in music and arts and you know she really uh tried to push that towards me okay that's 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 interesting um so you first i guess started getting a fascination in music and how did you actually end up choosing healthcare i i feel like if you got into music at such a young age, you'd probably want to, or maybe you would have thought of becoming a musician at some point in your life, right? Right. Actually, um, so <clears throat> I honestly wanted to become a musician when I was younger, um, but you know, I had a violin teacher who persuaded me, or more like dissuaded me, from not going in that field um, because you know he once sat me down and said, Albert. I'm going to tell you this in the nicest way possible. You work hard. You're a good violinist. However, if you pursue this field, there's going to be a lot of times that you're going to be hungry. And my mom was actually a a classically trained musician as well. Um, I don't know if I mentioned to you, but um, she told me the same thing as well. And she told me, I think you should find a career field that will, you know, give you a nice, stable financial like opportunities and then you can use music as a creative outlet later um and so i actually was suggest it was suggested to me by my parents you know because my cousin is a dentist and my aunt and uncle are uh, dentists as well and they said why don't you go into this field um, because it's such a it's a nice stable job and you can kind of control your hours and your lifestyle and you can do, you can pursue any of your hobbies like music. So that's how I got introduced to the health field actually. Okay. That's interesting. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to have to jump sequence a little bit just based on what you've mentioned. So mm-hmm. your father, I guess your family told you that when she, if once you become a dentist and get into dental, uh, into the dental, field and start working you're gonna have a lot of time to pursue your creative interests and just kind of do it as a hobby what is that actually the case now that you're practicing in the clinic no it's the complete false because um i think uh it, it honestly depends on what you want to pursue in your career um like a lot of people who are dentists they they want to do that typical monday through thursday work they spend Friday, um, Saturday, Sunday with the family and kids. Um, they go golfing. My life is actually the polar opposite. I work six days a week right now. Um, basically, I work Monday through Friday. I work eight o'clock to five o'clock, six o'clock, sometimes even seven o'clock. Um, and then Saturdays, I work nine to five. So I actually don't have much time for myself. Um, I'm kind of 
I'm hoping that this is just just because I'm newly graduated. Like it's only been two years since I entered the job industry. Um, that I'm gonna get that that um, freedom later on to kind of choose my hours. But as of now, my life is kind of entirely devoted to my job. Okay, and just so that the listeners have have this straight, I I don't want people who are thinking about you know dentistry and. Hearing what you just said, being freaked out, like, oh my God, I don't have time to do anything if I become a dentist. So, could you provide any clarity on whether that is a choice that you've made on your own, or do the, do many dental uh, fresh, like I guess newly graduated dentists, work six days a week? From what I actually heard um, from my colleagues and graduating, like the classmates who graduated with me, um, there are people who have that lifestyle of Monday through Thursday. Um, those people usually are working in an office that their parents have owned or their parents bought them, so they had a, a little bit more freedom. Um, there are a lot though who work six days as well. Um, their hours are a little bit more flexible than mine, and they don't have to work at five clinics. I work in five clinics, so <clears throat> they kind of stick to like one or two at most. Um, but a lot of people, especially when we graduate, we have so much student loans that. A lot of us are trying to like find a way to pay it off, and the only way we can really pay it off is with a nice, stable income. So, which is working. Okay. Um, I mean, yes, I, I, I'm, I'm pretty, pretty familiar with student loans myself. Um, I guess. So you mentioned that you were working at five different clinics, mm-hmm. right? Based on the people that you know and based on your research. What is the average number of clinics? Like, if, if, a, if a dental graduate decides not to pursue residency and they don't start their private practice immediately and they start working as an associate in different clinics, typically how many clinics do they work at? Because I feel like five is a is a extremely large number. You're probably like one of the outliers yeah. working at five different clinics. It's like one different clinic a day, basically a day per week. Almost. And you know, it actually used to be six clinics, and then I got it cut down to five. But I think. Um, talking with it depends like so in dentistry there's also corporate field and there's also private field um private i work in a private office but the private offices there it's two main like head doctors and they own six practices you're not going to find many private practitioners who kind of have that business model corporate's a little bit different corporate they have like branches in every county all over the u.s um for people i know in corporate they typically stick to at most three two at, at best um but in private if like you're working for a small private clinic where it's like one or two doctors and you have like maybe one or two columns each doctor and maybe like three hygiene columns you probably only work in one office and that's still more than enough okay i guess um pardon me if i'm being naive so if for corporate clinics there's a lot of different i guess branches or different offices in different locations, right? That's what you kind of mentioned. Mm-hmm. Um, so if someone is working for a corporate clinic and they're working at two or three different clinics, those would be under the same corporation, just at a different site, Exactly, right? exactly. So okay. like when they pay off the money or like taxes, it's like any type of paycheck is, let's say, the biggest one in the US is called Aspen Dental. So their company is probably like Aspen Dental LLC or something like that. So it's a single source of income. But for me, I work in five the clinics that are each independently operated. So my taxes come from like, I'm not gonna say the corporation, but um, like different branches. So I, I get taxed a little bit. It's, it's a little bit more different. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I, I feel like um, the corporate clinic route would be the situation for a lot of graduates who need a work visa right right so you were born in the u.s you are an american citizen finding a job and working for multiple employees i think would be a little bit easier but in certain i i mean i'm not familiar with every single visa but i would imagine that there are going to be some challenges with having a number of different employers like you do if they are a you know legally working foreign national Right, that's true. Um, that's why corporates, um, even some private offices, um, like even my own, um, offer dentists like a working visa. Um, that's why a lot of people do tend to go to bigger companies or bigger private offices because those offices um, can sponsor like foreign international students. 
Um, and then it depends on per state, but I know a lot of corporations, you have to work for them at least two years. I've heard from some people, don't quote me on it, they had to work for corporate at least four, up to four years and then before they could qualify to get that green card. Um, so a lot of people definitely, um, I went to school in, in at NYU and we have a lot of Canadian students and Canadian students would, it's because it's so hard to enter the job field in Canada, they try to stay in the US and they end up they ended up going into corporate to get their work visa and green cards eventually yeah I, i'm canadian myself uh didn't, didn't go to dental school but yeah it, it's, it's tough it's tough for medicine it's a little bit different but um yeah I mean, just work visas in general and healthcare it doesn't make it any easier compared to other jobs so i thought i'd ask that i know it's not something that you're too familiar with but you'll be able to provide a bit more insight than I could on the field, especially for the dental field, right? right. Um, okay, cool. So <clears throat> we just, we're kind of jumping all over the place, but I just want to backtrack mm -hmm. to when you were uh, a student at NYU. Okay. So you mentioned, uh, you kind of mentioned this previously, and I know we talked a whole bunch. I, I was there, I saw you while you were a student as mm -hmm. well. But, you know, I think it would be nice to tell the, tell the listeners what the life of a dental student is like especially in a very large city like new york city mm -hmm. right um in new york city there's a lot of things you can do you can there's a lot of places to eat to go out you can honestly because new york city in that northeast northeastern region if you want to go on a day trip you can go on a day trip by taking the amtrak some people go on trips everywhere um honestly it boils down to what kind of student you want to be and what your professional aspirations are uh, there are some people who say oh i want to specialize they have that decision like since like the first year of school um and those people they tend to like be more bookworms and or do a lot of externships internships um, rot um in like what's it called hospital rotations especially if they want to go to oral surgery um but for me i was always interested more in the field of general dentistry and digital dentistry and so like i use my time a little bit differently than other people so my testimony is a little bit different from what may many others may say um but I guess back to the main point, my lifestyle was very, I, I think I like to have, I like to say that I had a lot of opportunities to make a lot of good memories. Um, so for me, I devoted the weekdays to schoolwork, basically. Um, school cl Classes are from Monday through Friday. We have at least, we had at least one exam a week back in the day. Um, because our school didn't follow a block schedule like many other dental schools did. So I devoted my weekdays to just studying. Um, Friday nights, I would usually go out and meet people or drink with well, you and, uh, <laughs> and uh, a couple of our other friends. Um, Saturdays, I would usually start studying. Sometimes, you know, in the morning, it would be like, I always woke up at 5, 5 a.m., 6 a.m. So I would start studying. By choice? Yeah, kind of, uh, by choice. Um, I, I actually don't sleep that much. So I would wake up, start studying from 7 a.m. or 8 a.m., depends on how urgent I felt. And then up until 4 p.m. I'd study and then go out, do some more activities or meet people, go on dates, um, and then come home by 12. And then Sundays would be wake up at eight, um, go to church, um, come home, or go to the library by 3 p.m. and then study until like 1 a.m. Um, Sunday night. And that's just kind of how my life life was, like my lifestyle was. Okay, and that was pre-rotations, uh, pre right? Before you were actually rotating in the clinic. Uh, yeah, I guess so. Um, during during um, third year, third year is uh, we like to call a hybrid year because you have, uh, you have exams and you're seeing patients. Um, for me, the way our clinical rotations worked was we see patients basically from Monday through Thursday every day, and then every other Friday we see patients. But um, our schedule is usually from 8 a.m. to 1 p.m. or uh, 1 p.m. to 8 p.m. Uh, but for me, my third year, I kind of put into overhaul because I had I had a kind of a like a slow start. So while people were doing more procedures, I was doing more like recalls and checkups. And so I got really like desperate. So I actually started 
overbooking my schedule. So I started working. I did clinicals from 8 a.m. to 8 p.m. every day. And then Fridays, I would work not every other Friday, but every Friday. So that'd be like 8 to 3. And that's basically how I spent my third year and fourth year uh, up until the pandemic. Is there a maximum number of hours that you can do in clinical rotation as a student? Or is it there's only a minimum and you can go as much as you want? Like, I'm not really sure how they it works. Didn't, they never really specifically like specified, but um, as long as there were chairs, because obviously, like, let's say, because like, for example, our friend Teo, he was in the, a different session, but on the same floor as me. As long as I didn't take up the chairs from his session, like with his um, rotation mates, it was fine. So like, I, I'm not going to, I'm not going to sugarcoat. I kind of uh, went behind the school's back a lot of times just to see my patients and do a lot more. Um, because I, I already knew in my head, you know, I most likely will not go to residency. I still applied. Um, I wanted to go work in this private office, which ta-da, is the office I still work at right now. Um, so I wanted to treat my fourth year of dental school as my residency. So that's, I kind of overbooked my schedule and I did more procedures than some of my classmates for that reason. So if you, if like, um, I'm just trying to think of some questions that the listeners might have, but, and the first question that I actually thought of, when you mentioned that you went behind your school's back and kind of did a lot more than what you should have been doing, and you also mentioned that you were doing a lot more procedures in your fourth year, right? So what happens if there's a mistake that happened, like, let's say, let's say you were seeing a patient, you're doing a procedure and there was some sort of complication that happened. It just, you know, unexpected. Right. And then the, the patient's not happy and, you know, things are being escalated. So in that hypothetical situation where you're kind of going behind your school's back and doing this extra procedure and then something bad happens, what's next? Like, what would be the outcome of that? Like, or maybe the repercussions of that? So it's not really considered illegal in the school standard um, unless you're, let's say, you don't charge the patient. That's the only thing. Um, so the number one thing is don't screw up. <laughs> That's the number one thing. Um, number two thing is... Um, Easier said than done, though, right? <laughs> right. And then number two is, um, you know, I actually got close with some faculties, um, faculty members who, you know, they were always watching behind, watching my back and, you know, guiding me and teaching me while I was doing these procedures. And, you know, those faculty, they recognize, oh, this student's trying to work hard not just for the sake of graduation, but they because they want to learn. Like I was learning how to do certain preps that other people didn't get a chance to um, because those faculty, I'm like, seriously, thank God, like they went out of their way to like help me. So I never actually had a bad incident. Like I never took out a wrong tooth. I never did a root canal um, because I accidentally perforated the nerve. Um, I did exactly as I was told. And within those boundaries, I think that's why I never had these repercussions. But I know um, from classmates, they got scolded by like the dean or the worst case, some people actually had to repeat a year because they screwed up so many times. Yeah, um, that's that's a little different than the medicine. That's what that's why I actually wanted to ask. Um, but I, th I think what you did was, it was good, right? Um, there's, there's a quote by Louis Pasteur who says, chance favors the prepared mind. So if you're preparing for the future in the way that you did, knowing that you're not going to go into residency and you want to get more hands-on experience before actually leaving uh, or graduating and leaving NYU, to pre better prepare you for being at the forefront of seeing patients at the clinic that you're at now, then I think, you know, that's, that's kudos to you for doing that. Um, so then it sounds like it actually sounds like you would be so busy. Like it sounds like it sounds like you were doing a lot more than the average student or what was the minimum requirement by the school to graduate. Mm -hmm. And you're living in a city that has, you know, a plethora of this, uh, distractions. Mm -hmm. So then how did you even how did you manage to balance dating and um, doing all the work? And at the same time, you were meeting me and the group of our friends and like every single weekend. Right. So how did you squeeze all of that into just that weekend that you had for doing non-dental related things? So I, I definitely cut back on sleeping. That's one thing. Um, <laughs> um, so for me, dating is kind of 
I actually never really dated um, until I got to dental school. So I graduated college when I was 21, entered dental school when I was 22. So up until dental school, I think I went, I went on a couple like dates, like one or two at most, um, once in college, once before college. Um, but you know, I, I never, I never was really interested in dating. But it, when I got to dental school, I, I don't know that nature calls, I guess, uh, I, I kind of realized, <laughs> oh, you, mean, you know, like I'm in a professional professional field and I don't have any experience with this. So my mom, she told me, hey, look, Albert, when you're going into this field, you're going to want to know what you, you're going to want to know what you like and what you dislike in a partner and in a relationship. You got to find out. And so I said, OK, you know, you're right. I mean, it's logical, right? Um, I don't want to be one of those socially awkward people who ends up marrying the wrong person and just lives miserable, miserably. So that's what I did. I exactly did that. I won a lot of uh, blind dates, like swimmingtings. Um, I got introduced to a lot of people too. Um, some networking stuff, opportunities came and presented itself. And you know, I also use dating apps um, a little bit too. But um, managing it was it was actually really difficult. Um, especially whenever we met because john and i when we used to meet with our friends our nights were typically we would eat dinner at like 9 p.m or 10 p.m and then we would drink until like three or four and then waking up at 7 a.m the next day or 8 a.m the next day i mean but honestly like i said uh, it was if you want to work hard you also know how to play hard you got to enjoy your life too so i think that kind of met my like, mindset mentality was what kind of allowed me to have that opportunity yeah, it's like uh, equalizing pressure, right? The pressure from school needs to, you need to have some sort of outlet to release the steam, so to speak. Right. Um, okay. So then you mentioned dating apps. And I know like these days, dating apps are, you know, who, who doesn't use a dating app right. if they're looking for a partner, right? It's, it, you're, I think dating apps have become so common. And this is like, you know, everyone knows this already, that 99, I would say very confidently, 99% of all people who are seeking a partner use dating apps. The 1% are the very few people who are like still totally against mm -hmm. it for their whatever the reasons they have. Um, but I'm uh, what I'm curious about is if while you were using the dating app, did you end up ghosting them more or did they and <laughs> the, the girls end up ghosting you more? Um, I would actually say it's about 50 50. Uh... I, I well it's not like i was trying to ghost them but like obviously there are people that really work that vibe well with you and there are people that flat out don't my justification for why i ever ghosted someone was because i'll, I'll be very straightforward and honest um there are a lot of people that i met uh, most of the people i met were korean right so <clears throat> there are some who are ks like korean americans like me or they're like second generation or there are some people who are straight from Korea. And, you know, I've had multiple instances of people saying to me, like, like barely getting to know them. Like they told, they would tell me like, oh, I'm actually looking to get married soon. You know, I'm on a visa and, you know, I want to get a green card. There were some people who were very vocal about that. And I think hearing it once, if let's say I went on 10 dates, I only heard it once, I would say, oh, that person was an outlier. But in 10 dates, if I hear that like three or four times, it's like, oh, this is actually pretty common. And I don't know, John, you had we had talked about this um, a couple of years back or re pretty recently, yeah. too. You have friends who know people who do that, both men and women who would actually actively go out and try to meet people, not for the sake of like their personality or um, their jobs or just it, none of the typical stuff we we traditionally look for, but instead we'll find out first, like, does this person have a citizenship in the US, right? Yeah, so I think uh, based on, so I know I know some people who have uh, been on the receiving end, so where they're, where they're meeting a person who is seeking that. I also know people who were uh, on the seeking end, so they were looking for someone that had a green card. And based on what I've seen over time, it seems to, there seems to be like a trend. So in the earlier stages of their, like, I guess if they're, most of them would probably come as students, right? So in, I don't know, like the earlier stages of them being a student, 
they would focus on the priority would be you know like likability and personality uh, or compatibility. Uh, the next would be perspective. So what kind of job are they going to have? And then the last one, if even, would be like what's their what's their status in the United States. But over time, when they're getting closer to their to their to the end of their education, to when they're going to graduate, and they are now like you know they're not able, the job market's tough, right? So you're not able to find a job right away. But then they can't stay here because they don't have like you know legal status. That's when their preferences change. And for some, it kind of goes a little extreme, where the number one priority that they're looking for, the number one thing that they prioritize in someone that they're looking for is what's their status. Like, do they have a green card or do they have citizenship where I would be allowed to legally stay? And then the you know the cherry on top or the icing on the cake would be, are we compatible like personality-wise? And what job do they have? Like, like you know, those two would go back, like back and forth, interchangeable depending on the person. But yeah, yeah, it's, I mean, it's insane. It's insane. I, I think that's, I think that's pretty crazy to be honest. Uh, I've had personal experience with people asked me if I was born here because you know I, my Korean isn't super fluent, right? So they're talking to me. They're kind of like, oh, he sounds like he's uh, you know like a like a second generation Korean that was born in America, uh, kind of right not born in america or canada i was actually born in korea but i moved at a really young age and i am canadian so i'm not american so i tell them exactly that then you know a few of them actually would ghost me and i just didn't care right. initially you cared though right when you first you were like, no nope. really oh. yeah i mean if that's what they're if that's what they're looking for i you know i i don't want anything to do with it like even if i was an american citizen and someone said that like if I if I had thought they were com we were completely compatible for like the one or two days that we were talking to each other, or whatever, or until until she like you know pops that question, the I guess the timing of when she asks it and how she asks that question would really either turn me off and uh, make me just not want to speak with her again, or. I mean, I, uh, it's, so, it's so case by case, but in generally, if they ask that question within the first week of just getting to the, in the getting to know each other phase, then I'd probably be like, yeah, no, I don't want to see you anymore. Just seems like you're kind of like a taker and not really someone who's, yeah, I'm not really looking for a giver. I'm looking for someone that's wanting to start like some sort of partnership. Right. Right. right? But this is not a partnership. This is someone that's trying to infiltrate like my company, so to speak, and become like a partner. I'm like, no, I don't want any of that. Yeah. Uh, how about you? Like, did when when? So you heard that like what three? Like, I, I'm guessing that you've heard it quite often for you to be mentioning now. Um, is that something that made you kind of not want to talk to them as well, or you didn't really mind? I I think the first two or three times, because the first time was just like, huh, that's a very unique like question. But was it a total turnoff? Well, when, when it first happened, Later I on. didn't know what it was. I didn't know what to, it, it's kind of like, oh. it, it's kind of like when you try like a new food, you're just like, huh, this tastes very interesting. That was the feeling I had. I was like, oh, this is very interesting. I've heard stories like this. I never had anyone ask me this before. And then I didn't think much about it. And then after two or three more, like two or three more times hearing that, I was just like, wow, this is actually a pretty common thing and it would start to kind of bother me and then after that point I, like like what happened to you i would just say like ah, okay i know this person seemed like such a good person then they went ahead and started talking about like marriage like two dates in yeah what, what are you doing you're ruining my <laughs> bubble you just popped it and yeah like every every single positive image i've had had of you is gone exactly. it's gone yeah i mean so i guess i guess a lot of men feel the same way yeah i know some guys don't mind uh, depending on you know the girl like if it's if whatever sort of rating scale that they have on how they choose their partner or their their preference for different partners if they're high on that and they don't think they can meet anyone else i know people i know a lot of guys that would be okay yeah. with it right even when we talk hypothetically it's like hypothetically if you could if you like like most of the most of my friends they are not u.s citizens right so like we do have this talk of like hypotheticals and they they said yeah i wouldn't mind at all yeah. And me, like, if I was, 100% yeah. Like, 100%. Yeah. 99.9. Ah, .9. There might be that one special person out there. You know, the romantic in me is coming out a little <laughs> bit. 
or maybe maybe the hopeful guy i don't know yeah but, i mean i agree with what you're saying I, i've had those moments too like i've actually met someone who's really pretty like everything about them was very attractive to me like their personality like she, like this girl is very bubbly she was um very talented uh, i'm not gonna say what field she was but <laughs> she was very talented um but you know eventually i found out you know because at one point when she mentioned that whole citizenship thing that i was like you know but this girl's so so perfect, perfect. Right? well actually i guess <laughs> I can mention, it was my it was my first ex yeah it, it, my first sex mm -hmm. um and at that time if it's your first sex i can totally agree like uh, a lot of people think like it's the first time kind of feeling all those romantic mm -hmm. feelings and you just think that the person is perfect no matter what they do like they could they could literally throw a dog out of a window <laughs> like or or something or something bad and you just be like oh my god it's okay it's because it's her right right you just get blinded by love but anyway yeah. sorry but eventually i mean i as i got to know her more and see that true side of her i think that's what kind of turned me off to that point i was just like oh god i feel like in this relationship i'm kind of being I don't want to say the word used but um or manipulated but it there were moments i felt like that like i felt like my like you were taking of, exactly. advantage of or taking granted exactly. for okay oh that's interesting i i don't want to like ask you too many questions about dating because we're gonna have a little segment uh on dating so i don't want you to reveal okay. too much but you know i think a lot of oh i i put i think potentially think that there could be a lot of people who are interested top three things that you look for top three things go yeah five oh, seconds okay first of all is her relationship with her family uh mm -hmm. second thing is same like life ethics beliefs and of course values, yeah, values okay. like um, family religious uh whatever values they have to they, they don't have to be 100 but online with me uh like like similar to me and of mm -hmm. course they're like physical like attributes like is she pretty to me like i'm not expecting to like date or marry someone who's a model but of course i want her to even though she, other people would say albert why are you dating her she's not attractive as long as she's attractive to me that's all that matters yeah, I mean, beauty is, beauty is in the eye of the beholder, right? So if you find them attractive, that's all that matters. And hell, you know what? I if So I'm, I'm an extremely jealous type, and I completely agree with you. If I find someone attractive, I would want no one else to think that she's attractive. Yeah. I don't know why. But call me greedy. Call me jealous. I don't care. But I, it would make my... my it would put me at ease knowing that I am the one, I am the one person that finds this person attractive, right? That doesn't, I mean, like, you know, we'll talk about that later, <laughs> but okay. Yeah, I was just curious because I don't think I've ever asked you that question. I don't think uh, I even knew the answer and we've known each other yeah. for a while. So, all right, cool. Um, but like, let's just go back to career. I want to focus a little bit more like, sure. on career. So you're working at five different clinics, previously mm -hmm. six. Um, you train, you mentioned that you train a whole lot to be ready, uh, be ready to be in the clinic, to be facing the patients, to do all these different mm -hmm. procedures. So I guess one thing I'm curious about is if you can describe just a typical day at any one okay. of your clinics, just a typical day. I know like every day may not be the same, but there must be something that happens more regularly that you can talk about, right? That, that where you can kind of generalize okay. it. Um, so for me, uh, when I wake up, it's always the same routine. Brush my hair, uh, I'm sorry, brush my teeth and like, <laughs> <laughs> brush my teeth and take a shower um my god have you seen that movie american psycho with christian bale you know my... yes. <laughs> who hasn't oh, I, I was gonna start doing that routine but now um I, I i shower brush my teeth um make a cup of coffee um sometimes if i like went to costco like i have some bread or like breakfast stuff lying around i'll eat that or like i'll just skip it and just grab a, like an apple or something um, some of the clinics I work in are like 15 minutes from home. Another one is an hour and a half away from home. So when I'm driving, just either listen to music or I call some people or um, listen to podcasts. Um, and then when I get to work, listen to podcasts. Exactly. That's exactly. And then um, I go do my work. <laughs> um, sometimes I work through lunch. Sometimes I 
have lunch. Um, and then after I finish work, uh, it means there are some days where I don't see many patients, depending on the clinic. Some days I see like, I think the most I've ever seen was 24 patients in one day, um, like active patients, not even just hygiene, just back to back to back to back to back to back. So the day goes by pretty fast. And then I come home, I used to cook a little bit, but nowadays I'm so lazy. I have um, this meal order, like meal prep thing delivered, um, or I just pick up food on the way home or have it delivered. Most of the time these days it's delivered because I'm so tired. And then mm -hmm. that's around that time I take another, I shower and then I just kind of relax in bed. And then lately, like John and I, we started this, like you and I, we both started this uh, podcast. So at night I just kind of solely devote myself to the podcast. And then whenever I'm in bed, which is usually around one o'clock or two o'clock, uh, I kind of just read some literature, like science articles, like for regarding like dentistry um, that I'm passionate about um, and then just go to bed. And then I just that's how I spend my Monday through Saturdays. OK, all right. That's uh, it. It sounds it sounds loaded like you didn't really go into too many details but it sounds like it still it sounds like the day goes by really quickly um so let me let me rephrase the uh, this question uh, like the previous question uh i was hoping that you would give a bit more insight into what clinical stuff happens in oh. your life uh, day to day mm -hmm. but that's uh, i know it varies from day to day so i want to use this opportunity to kind of like pick apart your brain a little bit to see what it is you're hoping for because i'm going to ask an another question after okay. this right and i think this question might be a good segue okay. into that so if you were able to ch pick and choose the different procedures and the different types of patients that you could see in a single day in the clinic any single day let's just pick wednesday for example um what would the day in the clinic look like okay so i'm going to talk about my schedule about my favorite clinic um so in this clinic let's say eight o'clock we start so I arrive by 7.30, drink another cup of coffee, um, and then start to see the first patient. So I like to have one column for like doing actual work and another column for like emergencies or like seating crowns. So in the morning, I like to do my, the heaviest workload, like a lot of like thinking has to go involved in it. Like if it's hard fillings or if it's like very challenging crown cases or like fixed prosthodontic cases, um, like multi, like multiple crowns or like very cosmetic cases, I like to do those in the morning. So every hour, either me or the other general dentist goes and checks uh, hygiene patients. So let's say I have an hour, I numb up one patient, give them 15 minutes to get fully numb, go and check hygiene, come back, see my second column of patients, like a crown seat or something like that, or an emergency patient, go back, and the, patient's the first patient that I numbed up is numb. They should be numb if I did it properly. And then I start to do the work. I finish the work. Let's say it's a crown. I finished uh, prepping the crown. Maybe um, maybe my assistant will help me take the impression. Um, and by the time I finish impressions, I'm, I have them make the temporary crown or I make the temporary crowns myself if it's a cosmetic case. Um, and then by that time, it's already one hour has gone by. So I go and see the other patient. And, and basically, it's I like to keep myself busy with two columns, sometimes three columns if I can of just bouncing back and forth while seeing hygiene as well. So, I mean, that's how it goes from basically from eight o'clock to one o'clock usually. And then if I'm... Wait, uh, I just want to mm -hmm. pause right there um, before you go into the second half right. of the day. Um, so then when you say like the more difficult cases, you want to get you want to get it done before, like early in the, like you want to tackle exactly. those first. Um, you mentioned that, you know, a lot of thinking is involved, but I'm also wondering if those difficult uh, cases would be physically strenuous. Um, <clears throat> I don't think it's physically because as long as you have good posture, it's nothing's too difficult, but it's it's more okay. of a mental thing because sometimes you like there are cases for patients like let's say on the x-ray, it looks like a very small cavity, but in reality, it's just blown up and it's almost to the nerve you kind of want to approach it very carefully like there are some dentists who are just like eh, it's close enough to the nerve they just cut through the tooth and get to the nerve and do a root canal because they're i mean but it's a different school of philosophy some some school of thought is like oh it's gonna end up becoming a root canal why not just do it right now but the way mm -hmm. that i was trained by my boss is oh let's say there's that even that one percent chance this doesn't need to be a root canal 
why not try to avoid a root canal first? And then if you have to do it, you can come back and do it. So it's like it's like uh, basically in medicine, it's uh, it's always you triage the management based on invasive, like how invasive right, it is, right. right? So you're doing the least invasive things first, and if that doesn't work, then you proceed to the next one. Because like if I go, if I have a tummy ache, like it's uh, I I'm I'm just trying to use an analogy that some viewers, I guess, who are not in dental but more so towards mm -hmm. med, uh, if you go in with a tummy ache to see a doctor. They're gonna, you know, they're gonna give you the least invasive thing, which is medicine, and then maybe later on they'll, they'll do some imaging, um, at maybe an uh, like endoscopy, maybe, but they're not gonna be saying, hey, let's just send them to the OR and do an exploratory laparotomy. Let's see what's going on in there. Play around with your guts, move move everything around. Is there is there something? I don't know. Like no right. one's gonna do that. So I think that's I think that approach is I I I can totally agree with that approach. You know, I'm not a dentist, but. If I was getting my teeth worked on, I would want my dentist to be a little bit more preservative than trying to like destroy everything <laughs> and just try to fix everything in one go. You know, I don't care if I go twice or three times or four times. You know, as long as you're a good dentist, I think I'll be happy going as many times as right. needed to fix my teeth. Right? Well, just my thoughts. Okay, cool. Then um what about the second half of the okay. day then? Um so let's say I like sometimes because i i do sometimes like invisalign cases so like if i do digital scanning mm -hmm. sometimes i like to do it during my lunchtime if i'm not hungry but if i'm hungry and i I'll, I'll just say like uh i'll i'll eat I'll, I'll like take a bite of something see a patient for like five ten minutes numb them up take another bite and just kind of do that and then when two o'clock when the actual afternoon starts it's kind of similar to the morning session where i kind of I don't like to triple book in the in the afternoon. I kind of like to take it a little bit easier. Maybe a crown seed. Wind exactly. down. Like maybe a crown seed here. Do a crown prep here or fillings here. Um, I personally don't do a lot of root canals. Um, so unless it's absolutely necessary and like the patient's in a lot of pain. Or I do a couple extractions. And then that's kind of how it goes until like 5 o'clock or 6 o'clock. And then um, for me, my boss... Um, one of my bosses, the one I work with uh, at this clinic, he was actually a, from academia. He was a faculty member at an Ivy League school. So, I mean, if if anyone ever looks at my profile, they'll see who he is as well. But um, <clears throat> he's pretty well known, actually, throughout the U.S. Um, and actually internationally as well, because you know he's, he's very good. He's a good boss and he's a good teacher. And he and I would kind of discuss, even after all the patients are gone, we would discuss like literature cases and, you know, discover like, or discuss and like talk about new procedures and new protocols and dentistry. And just to keep, I mean, that's my social life at work. And then we all go home afterwards. That's, that's pretty much what my clinical life looks like. Work in, uh, in literature. Okay, I mean, I think that's that's important. It's uh, almost like you're at an academic hospital mm -hmm. setting doing residency where you're actually getting to do, I mean, you're not doing case studies yourself, but you're learning it. Well, actually, there are some. Reading, there are some. Yeah. Oh, you are doing case yeah. studies too. Okay, okay. So you're putting in, you're going to be like publishing them and getting them um, uh, put in some journals or articles that's or something? That's our goal right now. Yeah. Okay. I mean, yeah, if your boss is, uh, you know, if he was a faculty member at an Ivy League, like, I can see how he would want to do that and continue to do that, right? That's something that he's probably, that's been, like, ingrained into right. his system. Okay, cool. Um, yeah, just uh, just to be mindful of the time, you know, we have been talking a whole, a whole bunch. So just to wrap up, I'm going to ask three questions, okay, sure. right? So I told you like my previous question was to segue into mm -hmm. this one. So I was wondering about what your ideal day would look like because I think that will give us a good idea of what your future plans are or what, what your goal is. Okay. So my day for an ideal day. Well, I think the day I described in my clinic, that one, I actually like that schedule for mm -hmm. that clinic. Um, instead of working at five, ideally I'd like to work at most two. Um, even three is pushing it. Just sticking to two clinics, having this type of very rigorous schedule. I mean, maybe making it from eight to like four would be better instead of like eight to six. 
um, just so that I can make it in home and get eat dinner before like 8 p.m. But um, I think that's the life like style I described the past couple of minutes. That pretty much sums up perfectly what I like in a work setting. I like being busy, um, but I'd like to work four days or five days, not six days. Um, Okay, that's like the immediate future. Then we'll have a long term. Oh no, even even like 10, 15 years from now, I, I would really love to just work five days like that. Okay, yeah, uh, five days, but as an associate in different clinics, or would you like to maybe own your oh, own practice? Yeah, definitely, I want to, in three or four years' time, I definitely want, I still have a lot to learn. So when I feel like I'm competent enough, um, then yeah, I would like to own a clinic. Um, obviously owning a clinic is not just being about being a good dentist, a good empathetic and like, you know, caring dentist. It's about being a good businessman as well. So um, in that aspect in business, I still need a lot more experience and exposure. And when I feel like I am competent, yeah, I'd like to kind of run my own clinic or buy a um, practice and then run it in this fashion. Okay. Um... Second last question, I told you I had three, right? So, so the second last question would be, now that you've actually graduated and have worked for two years in the clinic, patient-facing, doing procedures more or less independently, um, with all of your experiences and the things that you've learned up until now, what would be a good word of advice that you would give to someone who is thinking about going into dentistry or someone who has just entered dentistry? It's funny that you asked this because um, I was interviewing someone who wanted to go to dental school. um, And I told him this, um, hey, um, people will tell you go to dentistry over medicine because yeah, you're helping me making people, but you can make a lucrative amount of money. That's both a true and a false statement. Um, It really depends on how you approach your field. If you really are doing this for money, I would not advise it because if you want to make a lucrative amount, you have to work a lot, like a crazy amount. And your personal life balance may not, it might not meet the expectations of your personal life, um, personal work-life balance. Um, so the, the main thing is do not do this for the money. Like don't go around chasing the money, like thinking that money is everything because it's not sustainable. Um, eventually you're going to get to a point where you're burned out. I mean, I never did this for the money and I'm getting burned out. Imagine if you're doing this only for money, you're not going to last two years and you're going to start hating your job because your job, instead of thinking about the welfare of other people, of the patients in front of you, you're going to start thinking, okay, how can I start making money off of this case? And you start treating each patient as a case and not a person. Um, And eventually that catches up to you and you're not going to be happy. Um, The best piece of advice is to recapitulate. Don't do it for the money. Don't chase the money. Let yourself do the hard work. Be the best that you can be. And the money, eventually, it may take a a week, a month, a year, two years, five years, 10 years, the money will come follow you and it will be much more rewarding. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I've I've heard the same thing from a lot of my mentors as well. I know like one guy, he was like an orthopedic surgeon and then he left orthopedics and went to become a investment banker analyst for biotech or something. Uh, I don't know, something like that. Um, I mean, they make a lot of money too, but uh, I mean, compared to orthopedic surgeons, probably not. I guess it depends on the practice, but you know. So yeah, I think that's good advice. Uh, the very last question that I want to ask you is, Give some tips on how to get whiter teeth. Whiter teeth? Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. That's a, it's a personal question for me because I've been trying to get my teeth whiter. It's not really working. Uh, what can see. I do? Well, the first uh, thing is if we start from conservative, you can do like um, using whitening toothpaste. But basically, the whitening toothpaste has little microscopic glass particles. What that does is it, it cleans your teeth like whiter. If he's once we publish this on a podcast, people won't see my air quotes, but basically it means you're wearing down your teeth until you get, <laughs> until it looks whiter. Um, another thing is, you know, like crest whitening strips, that's conservative. And because regardless of what you do, you will feel some slight sensitivity, but it's much more manageable. Um, another way is going to the dentist's office, doing the in-office or take-home tray bleaching. And the in-office bleaching is of course the strongest one. 
but patients do always complain of mild to moderate sensitivity to cold. Um, and then after that, you know, let's say you whiten your teeth. The best way to keep it not getting stained again is avoiding certain foods that will discolor your teeth, like strong colored food, like coffee, black coffee, um, really leafy greens. Because after you bleach and you start eating that, within a couple of days, your teeth are kind of back to where you started. So it's not worth it. So there's nothing you can really do except for those in office or take home methods and oral hygiene habits and managing it through dietary. Yeah, it sounds to me like you're telling me to give exactly. up. Exactly. So. That's exactly what I'm telling you to do. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think I think it's important to do all of that just regardless, but what I what I was thinking is that no matter what, like I drink coffee every single day. Mm-hmm. Right? I drink cola or coca-cola pepsi or like you know any sort of any sort of cola like pretty frequently i i wouldn't say i'm too heavy on the leafy greens but you know i do eat my fair share so no matter what i do regardless if it's healthy or not it seems like my teeth are just always going to be discolored so but (laughs) you know that's when you that's when the in-office visits are gonna are gonna pay off so i feel like all right sweet um well that I think that about concludes our show about getting to know all about Albert. Albert, do you have any final things that you want to say that I might not have asked or you might not have had the opportunity I to say? I think that pretty much covers everything. I mean, you, you asked pretty comprehensive questions. And I think I think, uh, I think this podcast episode will definitely help people get to know more about who I am. And maybe whenever I tell future stories or you know other experiences, they can they're able to put themselves in my shoes. So thanks for the questions. Yeah, and thanks for thanks for the really you know detailed answers. I think the listeners will appreciate that, especially those who are trying to understand or get more information on what it is like actually being a dentist, what to expect immediately after graduating. Um, I think it was very it was, it was really insightful, and there's a lot that can be learned from what you just shared with us. Okay, well, well then I guess that concludes this episode. Um, the next episode we're gonna have. Uh, a featured guest in the next episodes uh probably maybe not the next one but we're gonna have a featured guest coming on so get ready for that and we're also gonna get to know all about me and albert's gonna take the uh take the chair and get to ask me a whole bunch of com- uh, uncomfortable or comfortable questions i'll leave it up to him expect uncomfortable we're gonna we're gonna dig deeply into john's yes. psyche yes yes that's uh i you know i love feeling uncomfortable so <laughs> bring it on man all right well anyways well thanks for tuning in guys um you know if you have any questions hit us up on any of our social media channels and stay tuned for the next episode thanks for listening